Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Well, bless the Lord. Welcome to the Word on Wednesday. This is Pastor Winfred Burns of Word Worship and Witness Ministries coming to you tonight to continue our study in 2 Samuel. Uh, last week, we, we had a great time just studying through uh, all of the things that David had to go through to bring the ark into Jerusalem. And tonight we continue our study in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Um, and as we look at this particular unit, what we see is uh, David's desires. Uh, if you look back at chapter 6, chapter 6 was... David and his desire to to bring the ark to Jerusalem. And if you look back into chapter 5, it's David desiring to clear the land of the Philistines. Um, you see David taking over uh, Jerusalem, his desire to have a, a capital. And so what we see is really uh, the outworkings of what God has been doing in David's life all along. Uh, David, the king of Israel, David, the anointed of Israel, David, a man after God's own heart. And as he works, as we work through this, that's the one thing that you want to keep in mind, that this is a man that God has found, that God himself has said back in 1 Samuel, uh, when he went to uh, uh, Samuel and told him, how long are you going to mourn over Saul? He says, because now I found a man after my own heart. And David's life testifies to what God has said about him because you see him time and time again desiring the things of God, desiring God's will to be at work in his life, desiring God's will to be done for the people of Israel. And so as we continue to explore along that vein, uh, because we're kind of switching gears here. Uh, in previous weeks, we've talked about who is God's chosen king. We talked about who is your king. And now we're just examining the desires, the internal attitude of someone who would lead God's people and why God calls him a man after his own heart. And we're seeing that in action right now. Um, Another thing that we want to focus in on tonight is is this 2 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, I believe that in the lives of Christians that this is one of the most important chapters in the Bible. And notice I say one of the most important. And now I'll explain that in a few seconds, but we need to pay con uh, particular attention to this because... In my, my opinion, this is like a handoff in a relay race as we begin to see how God is moving us, moving along the story of our redemption. This book is, the, is, a, is part and parcel uh, um, important to us understanding how our redemption came about. So we're going to pay particular attention to this chapter. I'll show you just a couple of things. And really tonight, unlike most nights, you won't be doing a lot of page turning. We'll get in a place and we'll probably probably spend about 60% of our time right in the text. And, I don't, and I'll tell you right now, I don't know if we'll finish the entire thing, but don't worry, there's always next week. Um, so with that said, let's pray, and then I want to extend an invitation early on to those who, who might not know Jesus and... Um, might not have accepted the gift of eternal life. So let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you. We thank you for the many blessings that you bestow upon us. 
We thank you for your word and we thank you for your spirit. We thank you, O oh God, that your word will, will tell us what we need to know and what we need to do and train us up. And your spirit empowers us to do it. Now, Father, we ask that you would strengthen our faith tonight that we can be compliant with that which you've called us to do. We ask that you would open the eyes of our understanding, open up our ears so that we might hear. And then, God, encourage us to walk with you because sometimes we, we can be rather reluctant, especially when we walk into a truth for the first time. So help us, O oh God, lead us as your children. In Jesus' name, amen. And then what I want to say to you tonight, if you have never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never been born again, if you don't understand what it means to be saved, uh, I just want to spend a couple of minutes with you and tell you that salvation is a gift of God. When, you, when, when you, somebody asks you if you're saved, what they're really asking you is, have, you, have your sins been dealt with? Have you accepted Jesus as the one who came from heaven, hung on the cross, and died for your sins. That's what they're really asking you. Um, and if you and if you had never done that, if you've never if you don't if you've never confessed that Jesus died for your sins, you can do that right now. All you need to do is, if you believe it, if you believe it in your heart that Jesus died for your sins and you want him to be your savior, then all you need to do is just ask him. That's it. Just ask him. Confess him and ask him. Confess him and say, I believe that Jesus is the son of God, and he has died for my sins, and I ask him to be my savior. And if you pray that prayer, and you believe it in your heart that he has died for your sins, then you are saved. And now what you need to do is this, because I just gave you the, 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 the 10 cents version of salvation. What you need to do is you need to go when you find yourself another Christian, a pastor, a church, a group of church people, something, and ask them about salvation so they can talk to you and tell you better than I have done and spend the time with you and tell you what really salvation's all about. And they'll spend the time, and you'll begin to grow in Christ. And, and, you know, already having made that confession, you're a child of God. You are a child of God. You are saved. You're just as saved as I am. And so I ask that you do that tonight. Don't neglect it. Don't, don't wait for another day. If you believe it now, do it now. Amen? So let's get, let's, let's, let's get into the, the uh, lesson tonight. And the lesson is going to be in First um, Samuel, or Second Samuel, excuse me, chapter seven. And again, what we're talk, what we're doing is we're continuing on. And the big picture. Let me give you big picture. Big picture in Samuel is how this scattered nation is unified and becomes one nation. We started out with twelve tribes who were being attacked all over the place by the Moabites, the Amorites, uh, the Ammonites, the Philistines, I mean, just taking it to them. And now what they've done is they have consolidated as one under David. We started with Saul. Now, and the people had asked for a king. Saul was on the scene. Saul was not a man after God's own heart. Saul had his own agenda Saul would not follow God, and he was disobedient, so he was dethroned. And now David sits on the throne, and David is a man after God's own heart. And so now the nation has come, has come together as one, and David is beginning to implement um, uh, kingdom policies within the nation of Israel. He's showing the tribes how they're going to work together, but more than that, he is implementing worship. He has made God the sinner again. When the children of Israel were wandering through the desert, they encamped around the ark that was in the tent of meeting. After they got to the promised land, they stopped doing that. Well, now David has moved that ark 
back to Jerusalem, back into the center. He has made God the center of Israel once again. And now uh, the, 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 the nation is coalescing around him. And we'll see some things that they are able to do when they, get, when, when they begin to act as one. How this nation, who is surrounded by their enemies, because their enemies have not gone anywhere. And when you, early on in First Samuel, remember, we went through the map and I showed you that every tribe had, it was surrounded by enemies. They were surrounded on all sides. And if you think about Israel right now, how on every side of them, there is an enemy. If, they, if you look to the, uh, the east, there's a rock in Iran. If you look to the north, there's Jordan and Turkey and, and uh, uh, those countries up there that hate Israel. If you look over to the west, there's Egypt. And then if you go south, there's Saudi Arabia. I mean, literally, this is the same situation as you saw back in, 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 the, uh, in, in the Bible days. And that is that Israel is still surrounded by enemies. But the wonderful thing about it is they can't do nothing with God. They can do nothing with God. So with that said, um, one other thing, um, and I, I, I'm trying to introduce things early, so once I get rolling into the chapter, um, I, I, you know, I, I have a tendency to skip some stuff or miss some stuff in my mind. and I don't have a whole lot of notes tonight, so... I don't want to miss anything. But one of the things that I want you to see tonight in chapter 7 is this is what we call the Davidic covenant. This is God's covenant with David. And remember early on I talked about progressive revelation? Well, there's a way that you can read your Bible, and should read your Bible, by the way, where you link the covenants. For example, we start with a covenant that actually, and we don't even, most Christians and most scholars don't even recognize this as a covenant, but we start where God makes a covenant with Adam and Eve in the garden. And he makes them this promise that, um, that the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. Then we move to another covenant, the covenant with Abraham where he says that he's going to make him a great nation and that Abraham, through Abraham, all nations will be blessed. We go to the covenant with Noah, where he promises not to destroy the earth by water again. There's linkage between these covenants because, and I'll show you the linkage. One, it reveals God's plan for man in the garden. That covenant that he made with Adam, that covenant is going to stand throughout the Bible. And what you see when you read your Bible and read it closely is you constantly see that this is a battle between the seed of woman and the serpent. And what the devil is constantly trying to do is he's trying to prevent the promised seed from coming coming to the earth. And you know who that promised seed is. So I, I, I'm not going to give it away, but I'm going to hint toward it. But his job, everything that the devil tries to do, is to prevent that promised seed. The, with Abraham, he makes a promise, and he says, through your seed, not seeds, but seed. Again, indicating that there is a promised one that is coming. And then when he goes to Noah and, and he, he, he says, I won't destroy the earth like this again. I won't flood the earth like this. This is basically a promise that, no, I'm never going to destroy mankind. Not like this. So there's a connection and there's always this each covenant progressively reveals what God is going to do. And when he makes the covenant, he makes a covenant and he performs according to his promise. Now, notice that 
I don't say anything about the, the covenant at Sinai with Moses. I should say something about it. But this is a covenant of law. And this the, the, the law covenant has a particular purpose. Okay. It has a particular purpose. So what is the purpose of the covenant of the law that's made uh, uh, with Moses at Sinai? The, the purpose of that particular covenant is to show the people what they need. You see, a lot of people think that well, now that the now that you know we're no longer under the law, that we're under grace, that law has been set aside. Nothing can be farther from the truth. Jesus said, "I didn't come to destroy the law; I came to fulfill it." Paul will later teach us the purpose of the law. And the purpose of the law is not null and void even to this very day. The purpose of the law is to show us our shortcomings and our need for grace. And so when you look on uh, in Chicago right now, the reason why we have all of this, this murder and this killing and people shooting and all that kind of stuff is because nobody has taught the law. If we were to teach the law, and, and, make, and steal the law in the hearts of the people, it would make the job of the gospel preacher a lot, a lot simpler because the law will have already been at work in the lives of the individuals showing them their need for Jesus. Because when, you, when you're told this is what you, what you have to do and you discover I can't do it, then you say, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And you see that you have a need, and then we get a chance to present Jesus Christ as the one who fulfills the need by dying for us. And we, show, we see the grace of God and by faith receive it. Amen? So those are, the, those are the covenants that I wanted to go through before we get to this one in Chapter 7. So let's get started. Uh, I want us to start reading at um, 2 Samuel Chapter 7. Verse 1, now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, see, now I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Now, it starts out just showing the desire that, um, that David has for God. He look, he's sitting there, and Hiram has come along and sent carpenters and everything, and David's now, you know, after years and years of being in the wilderness, David's now in the house, and he looks over at the tent that he has set up for the Ark of the, of the Covenant, and he says, look at me, living large, and look at my God out there in a tent. That's not right. I desire for him to be in a place of opulence. He deserves more than even I have. And so I want to build him a house. And he consults with Nathan concerning this. And this is particularly interesting because what you see here is a relationship between king and prophet. Now, go back to the previous king. What kind of relationship did the king and the prophet have? What kind of relationship did Saul have with Samuel? I think Saul was very, very dismissive of Samuel. And not only that, but Saul was also scared of Samuel. Because remember when, when Saul was getting, uh, uh, I mean, Samuel was getting ready to go anoint David, and he says, and he told God, he says, God, if I go out here and do what you say do, and Saul hears about it, he's going to kill me. But here is a king willing to listen to and submit to a prophetic word from God. But more than that, the prophet of God, he recognizes the necessity of a man who hears directly from God. Now, he has, he has the priest, and you saw in the last chapter how he went to the priest and the Levites and said, hey, the reason why 
that you that that we were unsuccessful in bringing the cart the first time was because you um you guys weren't with us and you were the guys that were appointed to do it so you see that david has a structure he he understands organization he understands literally the body and what we would call today the body of Christ and how it functions and how all of the members are necessary and how all of the offices are necessary. And he understands how to respect them. You'll have kings that come along later who have no respect for the priests, no respect for the prophets. As a matter of fact, if, if we were to extend this, this study over in the kings, you would see how they were like, I'm the king, y'all the subjects, do what I say or I'll kill you. David's not like that. David's not like that. He honors the, the prophet of God. And so in verse um, 4, it says, But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the days I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I've moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I've been with you whenever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place, and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits inequity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Now, we're going to break that passage down. I'm going to show you some things. First of all, he starts out by speaking, give, telling Nathan, you go back and tell Nathan, you told him that I was with him and that it was all right for him to do it, but I don't want him to do it. I do not want David to build me a house. That's not his assignment. I didn't tell him to do it. I don't want him to do it. Not only did I not tell him to do it, I've never told anybody to do that. That's the first thing he says to him. Because if you remember, when the children of Israel were released, remember this thing about a cloud, a, a cloud by day and a fire by night? The presence of the Lord always went before them. And he's saying, this, these were the orders that I gave. Who, who told the children of Israel to build the ark? Wasn't it God? Yeah. Who told the children of Israel to build the tent to house the ark? Remember? Back in Exodus where they talk about all of the materials used to make the tent and how they separated the tent out, God had given them specific instructions 
as to what to do. And now David is going to come along and literally override God's instructions. That's why you hear that tense, that, that tinge of almost arrogance and, and, and a little bit of anger. Who told you to do this? And when did I tell you to do this? Is the tone of this writing. I told them what I wanted done. I have not changed my mind about it. Even though David desires to do something good, again, remember his desire? He desired to bring the ark up, but he was doing it his way, and God rebuked him and said, that ain't the way you're supposed to be done. Go back and study the word. And then here he's desiring to do something. He goes to Nathan, and Nathan said, well, the Lord, with you go ahead, I want to do it. And, and it's like the Lord said, no, I don't want him doing this. I'll let his son do it. But have you ever wondered why God would not allow David to build the temple? Let me tell you why. And this is something that we can learn from. God's timing, God's timing, along with his word, are important. Sometimes we want to move ahead of God. You've heard preachers say that a lot of times. Sometimes we're not moving we're not following God. It's like almost as if, okay, God, you told me something, and then we, we run out with it, and it's not the time to do it. God just tells us something, and he says, I ain't telling you to do nothing. I just, I'm just telling you that right now. That's it. If I want you to do something, I'll tell you to do something. But right now, I'm telling you to trust me. But why is David not the one selected to, to um, uh, build the house? Of God, let's take a look at it and see why why he's in this predicament. I want you to first of all turn over to First Kings, the fifth chapter. First Kings chapter And look at verse, I'm going to start reading it, uh, 5.1. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon when he heard that they had anointed him king in place of his father. For Hiram always loved David. And Solomon sent word to Hiram, You know that David, my father, could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the warfare with which his enemies surrounded him until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. So the first thing that we, can, we learn, the reason for God um, not, not allowing David to, I'm trying to make, this, make sure this thing stands up right, um, to build the temple was because this was not the time. This was a time of war. This was the time when the land need to be, needed to be eradicated of all of the enemies. This was a time when God's word needed to be fulfilled concerning what he would do to the enemies in the land. This was the time when Israel was finally going to pass the test that God posed to them back in Joshua when he said to them, he says, I'm not going to drive out all the enemies. I'm going to leave some of them so they can test your obedience. Yeah, he could have driven them all out, but the people were not in any kind of condition to, number one, inhabit the land, and number two, Drive, uh, drive the enemies out through obedience because they shown that they were stiff-necked and that they were disobedient. And what God was trying to get them to focus in on was him. And so after Joshua, what do we have? We have judges where they just went stark, raving mad, doing whatever they wanted to do, assimilating themselves not into Yahweh, but assimilating themselves into the religion within the land. So they flunked the test. And we talked about that in First Samuel, that cycle of disobedience. 
And now they're coming out of that. And so um, David is leading them out of that, and that's David's job. David's job is not to build. Just like it wasn't Moses' job to lead them into the promised land, David's job is not is not to build the temple, but instead to bring the people together around God. Second thing, go over another reason. Go over to 1 Chronicles 22. And this all builds on the same thing. So go to 2 Chronicles chapter 22. And he's going to say, he's, I mean, First Chronicles 22, excuse me. He's going to say the same thing over again. But now he's going to make it more specific. First Chronicles chapter 22, verse... Here, let's start reading at verse 6. Then he called for Solomon his son and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. So because David was a warrior and because David was responsible for clearing the land, because David literally uh, had killed, remember the song, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his hundreds of thousands. Remember that song? Well, that's really, he was, a, he was a called a bloody man of war. And if you go over to First uh, Chronicles 28, you, you'll hear the language. Go to First Chronicles 28 real quick. Uh, look at verse 2. Oh, I'll read first. I'll start at verse 1. David assembled at Jerusalem all the officials of Israel, the officials of the tribes, the officers of the divisions that served the king, the commanders of thousands, the commanders of hundreds, the stewards of all the property and livestock of the king and his sons, together with the palace officials, the mighty men, and all the seasoned warriors. Then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God. And I made preparations for the building. But God said to me, You may not build a house for my name, for you are a man of war and have shed blood. So, David is basically described as a bloody man of war. In addition to being the prince of Israel, the, 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 that great shepherd, uh, that great king, God looks at him. He sees his obedient servant after his own heart, but he is labeled not qualified to build a house of God, but yet the warrior king who clears the land, and he's got too much blood on him to do something like build God a house. And so he says, no, David. I know you desire to do that for me, but you can't. You're not qualified. But what I'm going to do for you, since you desire to obey me and desire to build a house for me and your desires have been for me, he says, you're not going to build me a house, but I'm going to build you one. And the house that he talks about building here is an eternal house. He's talking about, when he, when he used the term house here, he's talking about the dynasty that will follow David. He's talking about the blessing 
that will follow David. And not only does he bless David, but now he's going to bless his people. So let's let's just go back through the, those seven those verses that we looked at, and I want to pull some things out real quick. Um, look at verse verse eight. Let's start there, where he's, where he says to David, he says, "Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of Hosts, I took you from the pasture." from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I've been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now, the first thing that he tells him is he said, look, David, everything that you've accomplished, that's been me. I did that. I chose you. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar to any of us? Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. That sound familiar? God chose just like God chose David. God chooses us. Sometimes we think that in accepting Him as our King, that it was our wisdom, that it was our logic, that we finally said, "You know what? This Jesus makes sense." That's not us. That's the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us. It's God who gives us the measure of faith. It's God who opens up our eyes and allows us to see him. It's God who has led and guided us. It's God who's been our protector. And that's essentially what uh, this passage is saying right now. David, I've been with you. I've been protecting you. And now I'm really going to blow your mind. He says, I will make for you a great name. He's still talking to David. He says, like the names of the great ones on the earth. And then now, look at the blessing of following, of having David as leader. What happens to the people? He says, I will appoint a place for my people Israel. Now, he's already appointed a place for them. But now, look what he's going to do in that place. In that place, because remember, they're in the land, but every time you look up, somebody running them. If it's not the Philistines, it's the Moabites. If it's not the Moabites, it's the Amorites. If it's not the Amorites, it's the Ammonites. It's somebody always bothering them. But now he says, watch me establish you in this land. He says, and I will plant them so that they may dwell where? In their own place, this is the fulfillment of the promise to lead them into the promised land. Now, he's led them in there. Now, he's going to establish them in there. Before, he was telling them, you drive the enemy out. It's your job to drive them out. And what did you see back in Judges? And what did you see back in Exodus? They get so far, but they couldn't displace the rest of them, so they just live with them. And these guys would entrench themselves in the mountains, and they couldn't get them out of the mountains or the Jebusites who hold up in Jerusalem. And David finally gets them out. Why? Because now God is sweeping the enemy out the land. And you know there's going to come a day, there's going to come a day when God literally deals with the enemy and sweeps them out of the land. What did John say? I, John, saw a new heaven and a new earth. There will be a day when the new heaven and the new earth descends and Satan is gone, gone, gone. Evil is gone. Let's keep going. And plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. Can you imagine that? Where death doesn't disturb us anymore, where sickness doesn't disturb us anymore, where violence doesn't disturb us anymore. The Bible talks about the the lion laying the lion laying down with the lamb, where there's peace throughout the land. Can you imagine that? And that's the day that is coming for those who believe. Not here yet, but it's coming. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Now watch this. Moreover, the Lord declares to you, the Lord will make you a house. 
Now, he's talking to David specifically now. And his house, as I explained before, he's giving him a dynasty. He's giving him a dynasty. And this has particular implications for us. So pay attention. When your days are fulfilled, you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. So he's saying now, he says, it's not going to be like Saul who couldn't hand the kingdom to Jonathan. You will hand the kingdom to your descendant. But now he's going to get richer with that. He shall build a house for my name. The, the one that's coming after, that's the one that's going to be assigned to build the house, not you. And then he says, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom, not for one generation, not for two generations or three generations, the throne is established forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. That is the Davidic covenant right there. He covenants with David that his throne would be an everlasting throne. So why is that important? I'll give you a hint. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Remember that guy who cries out in the gospel? How does he identify Jesus? He identifies Jesus as the son of David who now occupies the throne of David. But hold on. If you're, if you're an Old Testament student, you know that when Nebuchadnezzar comes, he overthrows the final son of David, and the throne seemingly disappears. Yeah, that, that's what the Bible says. But here God has promised him an everlasting throne. And the first one to sit on the throne, after the Jews come out of the um the uh, 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 Babylonian captivity is Jesus. You never see another king. When they go into the Babylonian captivity, no more king on David's throne until Jesus comes along. And so it's important that we understand this Davidic covenant because this Davidic covenant foretells Jesus coming as king. And so everything that happens from this point forward is we are waiting for what we term the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the one who is to sit on David's throne and fulfill this Davidic covenant. That's why this chapter is so important. Yeah, because it points towards Jesus Christ. Now, let me see if I can uh, get the rest of this done. Go to verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? Wow. He didn't get all pumped up. And, 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 and arrogant or anything, but he goes and he sits before the ark. He goes and sits in the presence of God, and he asks God a question. Who am I? And What is my house that you have brought me thus far? Have you ever sat before God and reveling in the blessings that he has given us, 
just looked and just said, God, who am I? If you think about all of the, the people who have died without God, who are languishing in their graves waiting for judgment, and think about your friends who right now don't know Jesus and how he's pardoned their sins, and you have the revelation of God, and you have the gift of God, his son, Jesus Christ. Have you ever just sat before the Lord thinking about, ooh, that could have been me out there, Lord, all messed up in the streets, doing something on drugs, shooting people in gangs. But, Lord, you saw fit to take me from where I was and bring me into your kingdom and make me a son or a daughter. Who am I? And what is my house? What is my family that you have brought me thus far, that you brought me into your presence? And yet, verse 19, and yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind, O oh Lord God. There it is right there. There it is right there. This is instruction for mankind, that this ain't nothing to you, that you will go to extremes for them whom you love, and you showed the extreme that you were willing to go to through when you, O oh God, came down from heaven and hung on a cross to pay our sin penalty, that we might receive the inheritance of God, that we might be robed in your righteousness and not our own filthy rags that, 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 that we were walking around in. That, you, that we might experience your love, that you would give us beauty for ashes, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Mm, mm, mm. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. You see, David doesn't say, because I went out there and I fought uh, Goliath for you, because I stood up and did this, that, and the other. He said, no, 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 no. Look at what he's operating on. He said, it was your promise. It was because of what you said. It, it should make us pay more attention to the things that God has spoken into our lives, the things that God has spoken to us by his word. David is resting He's depending upon the same God who told him better than 20-some years ago that he would be king to fulfill his word in the future. And sometimes when we are in a dark place or God doesn't seem like he's moving fast enough for us, there are times when we think, oh, God, you ain't going to do it. And our faith begins to fail. But David knows how to walk on a promise. Abraham knew how to walk on a promise. Moses knew how to walk on a promise. All of God's people have to learn how to walk on the promise of God, knowing that God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he has to repent. There is nothing that he says that he can't perform. And that's a word for your life tonight. Whatever God told you, he's well able to do what he says. You just got to trust and believe. And here we find believing David sitting before God saying, oh, this is something that you've, that you've told me, and I believe you, God. Therefore, verse 22, watch him worship now. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you. And there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them 
great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. Let me, I need to stop just right there for just a second. Look at, what, look at what he's doing. He is rehearsing before God the things that God has done. And he's worshiping him for the things that God has done in redemption. Now, now, now come, come to 2017 for a minute. In your time of worship, when was the last time you sat before God and really worshipped him for deliverance, worshipped him for your redemption, worshipped him for all of the wonderful things that he has done. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about you know, uh, the perfunctory prayers that we sometimes pray in worship, but when was the last time you just sat back and meditated on the goodness of God? I mean, just just sat there, put all, I mean, because we, we all got some needs that have been unmet. We all got some stuff that we would like fixed. We all got some conditions that, that we would love to see go away. We all got some people that we would like to blink off the face of the earth. But when was the last time you put all that garbage to the side and just sat there before the Lord and meditated on his goodness towards you? You know, we, we we had that saying that we were that we were running around with for a while, a number of years back. When I think about the goodness of Jesus and all that He's done for me, and we got so mechanical saying it that we that we stopped thinking about the goodness of Jesus. Because if we thought about the goodness of Jesus, we wouldn't be able to get the rest of that little rhyme out at all. If we thought about the many times that He stepped in, if we thought about what, where he brought us from, if we thought about what he's kept us from, if we thought about the things that he's preserved us in, if we thought about the fact that we are seated in heavenly places with God even right now, if we thought about the fact that according to his riches in glory, uh -huh, not our riches, that he has given us access to his riches in glory, he has established a covenant with us based upon not what we did, not our performance, but what Jesus has done, if we thought about that, that in that covenant relationship, that everything that he has belongs to us. You hear him say, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell within. All of that belongs to us. We have access to it. But he tells us, seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all other things shall be added unto you. He says, if you ask according to my will, you see, we got all of that. And if we would ever just stop complaining for just a few minutes and sit down somewhere and begin to think about all that God has done for us, all the stuff that he's doing for us, and the promise of what he will do. Whoa. That'll, that'll take you into some worship. That'll take you into a, a hallelujah, thank you, Jesus place, that you'll find yourself, if you start now, tomorrow sometime you'll be taking your second breath. Because God has been good to us. David shows this in his worship. He says, he says, and how, let, me, let me find a spot. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be, to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. At Calvary, Jesus overthrew the one who, who, who Paul describes as the prince of the power of the air because the devil thought he had him. But Jesus would overthrow and destroy the works of the devil. Why? 
to redeem God's people. He says, and you establish for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. What's in God's hand, no man can pluck it out. That's the assurance of your salvation right there. When you have placed yourself in the hands of God, there's nothing the devil can do to get you out. You've got to try to jump out on your own, and God loves you so much that he's still hanging on. And I, oh, no, baby, you ain't going nowhere. You mine. You mine. Let me keep going. And now, O oh Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. Expectation of a person of faith. The expectation of a person of faith is amen. When the Lord says something to you, when the word comes to you, your response is, do it, God. Amen. So be it. That's what you want to say. Amen. Be like David. David said, okay, you said it, now go and do it. Go and do it because I know you're well able. Keep going. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, the Lord of hosts is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, has made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. When God speaks the blessing upon you, when God speaks the blessing upon your house, the word in response is, you said it, God, amen, and I believe it. You activate the blessing of God by your faith in his word. And some of us need to activate the blessing of God no matter, I mean, because God has spoken to you and, and through his word, and there are many times when you said, I don't see it, God, I don't see it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And the just shall live by faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. You see, what God is, what David does is a wonderful example of how to receive the blessing of God. Amen. I believe it. Do it. Make it so, God. Go on, do it. I believe you will able to do it. I'm with you. Not, God, I don't know about this. Not being like Gideon and throwing out a fleece. No. Receive the word of the Lord with amen, and begin to walk in the word by faith, whether you see it or you don't. When God says it, it's true, and it's going to come to pass. David believes the word of God. He receives the word of God, and he goes and he sits before God and he worships. And through David... We come to Jesus himself, and we receive the king who sits on the throne forever. Well, that's about all I have time for tonight. Um, let's have a quick word of prayer, and I will go next week on Second uh, Samuel chapter 8. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to say thank you. We thank you for your promises that, that are true. For your word reminds us that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And tonight, for every promise that you've given us, we receive it in the name of Jesus, and we say yes and amen to it. 
We bless you, O God, and we repent of the doubt that we've allowed to creep into our heart, the fact that sometimes we've questioned you. We thank you, O God, that you are maturing us even today to be able to receive your word. And so we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And we'll see you next week. At this same time, the Lord willing and the creek don't rise. Uh, And we'll be going to 2 Samuel chapter 8. Bless you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Have a wonderful evening. Amen. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.